Well, good morning. If I have not met you, my name is Paul Patrick, and I am the chaplain and the campus minister with Reformed University Fellowship at nearby Erskine College. And it's my privilege to speak to you today as Archie is out of town. And what I'm going to do with you is simply share a sermon that I've been preaching this summer in various churches, which is a sermon from the spring semester in RUF at Erskine. Uh, This past spring, I decided, I I think I've been in campus ministry long enough that I can probably sit down and think of some of the hardest questions, the deepest hurts, the most real life issues that our students have lived through. And if I put those together in a series, I might have a chance at hitting the bullseye of people's heartfelt needs and gospel needs. And so I did that. And I'm simply going to share with you the introductory sermon to that series. Um, It's not so much an expository sermon as it is a topical sermon. So those of you who know what that means, be gracious with me. But our text for this is a familiar one, and it's Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. But before I read it, let me set it up this way. It is a stressful world that we live in. There is a lot to worry about. And every day in the news, there are instances and examples that reveal this to be true, let alone your life. So as I put this series together, you may recall some of the events that were happening this spring where 50 individuals have been indicted for bribing college admissions offices with hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to secure a spot for their child at an elite university. Some of them claiming to play a sport. They've never even played the sport before. People like Lori Laughlin, I didn't know who she was until this news broke, and you probably, many of you don't know who that is, but movie stars, 50 of them, and millions of dollars spent corrupting the education system. What is at the heart of that? It's a parent's worry. A parent's fear that their child is going to miss out on something and not have it as as good as they want them to have it. And so worry and fear and hoping for the best reveals the corruption of the human heart. Also, this spring, you may have heard this tragic story out of India where 20 Indian high school students committed suicide after they received back the scores of their national testing equivalent to our SAT, our ACT. 20 Indians killed themselves because they did not get the score that they had hoped for. About a week after that, or days after that event, it proved to be a computer error. That they had not made low scores. They had been given incorrect information. Tragic story. And what is at the heart of that? It's fear. It's worry. It's some form of anxiety. Those are extreme examples, but those extreme examples are are happening around us all the time. And you have your own examples that we'll hope to address this morning of worry, 
fear, anxiety, stress, and maybe even freaking out, which is what my students call it. But I want you to hear with that context, hear God's word, Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Familiar words, but hear them with the beauty and the truth that Jesus offers you this morning. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagan unbelievers run after all these things, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Now, one bonus reading that I don't think we'll have a slide for, very brief, but hear this. Jesus again speaking to his disciples, John 16, verse 33, Jesus said to his disciples, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Let's pray that God would help us apply this to our anxious lives. Let's pray. Lord, would you be the calmer of our anxious hearts? Would you, either for the first time or the hundredth time, would you make known to your people, to each of us individually, that there is a great peace to be found in you when we trust your word and your promises? Help us to know those. Help us this morning to hold on to those. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So anxiety, worry, fear, stress, freaking out. Uh, You have your own examples and I have mine. Uh, Having done campus ministry for the number of years that I've done it, I think I'm beginning my 17th fall in campus ministry this fall. And this is an anxious time of the year, isn't it? As we prepare to go back to school, you've got to go buy the note cards, the pens, the notebooks, the pencils, all the shopping list. 
Some of you are preparing to send students off to college. We're living that stress right now as well. There is a, there's plenty to be anxious about. But having done campus ministry this number of years, I have a number of graduates, a number of graduates who are now married, having children, raising children. And thanks to social media and Facebook, I get to quietly watch how it's going. I get to see some of the real-life instances of stress and difficulty and anxiety. But one of my graduates uh, several months ago posted an article. And all the young moms clicked like and had comments of, Oh, this is so true. This is exactly me. And so I read it, and I thought, you know what? I don't know that there's anything that sums up anxiety in everyday life better than this. So I'm going to share this article for you. It's titled, My Anxiety Makes Me Feel Like I Fail Over and Over Again. See if this resonates with your heart or if it doesn't. She says, I'm so tired of trying so hard. Hey, honey, why don't you come and just sit down and relax a little? My husband asked as I was rummaging around in the kitchen cabinets. I huffed under my breath at him. I can't. I just can't, I replied. There's just too much to do. So much that you can't come and sit down with me for five minutes? My husband pushed a little bit harder. I smacked the washcloth down on the counter and whipped around at him. No, actually I can't. Because I have to get all the leftovers put away and get these pots and pans soaking. Then I have to go and put the kids' sheets in the dryer so I can make sure they're dry before bedtime. Oh, and we're out of milk, so I need to also run down to town before the grocery store closes. Oh, and we're out of toilet paper, too. And the kids have been crying all day. I can't even think straight or remember anything. Oh, my goodness. Did I have a meeting at church tonight? Oh no, I can't do all of this. I leaned up against the counter and began to cry. There were a few moments of silence before I heard his footsteps coming toward me. I looked up just in time to see him spread his arms and wrap them around me. I'm so sorry, I said. I'm not mad at you. I'm just so overwhelmed. I'm tired of doing everything and feeling like I can't juggle it all. I paused. I'm just so sick of trying so hard. He let me cry for a few more minutes. You know, you don't have to do it all, right? He said. It's all going to still be here tomorrow. Let's just leave some of it and we can get it in the morning, he said. But that's just the thing. It's all going to be here again tomorrow. It's never ending. I can't keep up. And I cried some more. My husband looked me in the eyes. You go and switch out the laundry and just go take a few minutes and be by yourself. Take a few deep breaths. Take half of your anxiety pill if you need it. I'll finish up the dishes and we can put the kids to bed and then we can sit for a bit. And that was it. I was just done. 
Have you ever felt this way, ladies and mothers, she says. Please tell me I'm not alone. You see, here's the thing. I'm overwhelmed enough as it is as the woman of our household. I just don't feel like I can always keep up. But add my anxiety into the mix, and you've got the recipe for a hot mess, she says. And after years of trying so hard, I've become tired of trying so hard, and I can't do it anymore. I'm now learning to ask for help. I'm learning to accept help. I'm learning how to manage my anxiety with prayer and Xanax, she says. I'm figuring out what my limits are and when to just let things be undone. I'm recognizing when I need to slow down and just be with my family. But most importantly, I'm learning how to say no to myself and to my demands of myself. Not to allowing myself to try so hard because when I try that hard, I fall even harder and I'm tired of falling. Aren't you? I'm told that resonates with people in their households and their real life experiences. You have your own experiences. We have our own everyday life experiences that can work anxiety, that work stress, that can work fear, that can make us fret, and that can undo us. And this morning, the great news, the beautiful news that God would have you hear from His Word is that Jesus cares about all those small matters of your heart that you're even embarrassed to mention or make known to others because they seem so small and petty to you. But they're big enough to undo you, to unravel you. And Jesus, in this this account from Matthew chapter 6, He graciously itemizes the categories that we tend to worry about in everyday life. You're worrying about drink, worried about food. Consider the flowers of the field. Have you not noticed how beautifully decorated they are? And you were created in the image of God, in His likeness. Do you think He's going to forsake you and neglect you? This powerful reminder to our fears, our worries, and our anxieties. But I have my list from the year, just like you could produce your own. Those real life experiences of doctor's appointments, diagnosis, disease, therapy, school tests, papers, exams, college admissions. Even getting a prom dress can be stressful. Kids driving, kids driving late at night, kids driving in unfamiliar territory. The thought of retirement and savings and finances and college tuition, cars and maintenance and repairs, home maintenance, home repairs, home improvements, your job, your work, your profession, your performance. Even athletic performance causes great stress and worry in the life of people. Arts and music performance. These are all categories common to us all. And they can undo every one of us. And this morning, Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
Put your priorities with the kingdom first and let everything else fall as it should. Don't let your anxious, worrisome heart get out of whack about the wrong things. That's how we might put it. So in trying to explain this to students, I have two simple points, but I think they're helpful. And the first is this. I think we need to understand that this thing we call the fall, the fall into sin in Genesis 3, it is real. And you and I, every day, as we get a little bit older, are learning more and more about how that fall has affected us. How it has ruined creation. We see it in the mirror. We see it in our parents and our grandparents. We see the the decay, the destruction of the flesh. And when you begin to see those things, your eyes are opened to your frailty, to your own humanity. So here's one way that I think is helpful to understand this. Because when I read that uh, situation of anxiety between a husband and a wife, here is the truth. Within the room, there was a tension. Because there are some of you who get it. And you're like, yes, I understand that anxiety of the wife. I connect with that. And others of you could very well cross your arms and say, it's just dishes. It's just kitchen stuff. Why are you so worked up? Relax. Now, how do we account for that? Here's how I account for it. That Genesis 3 event in the fall, I think of it like this. Imagine if your person, your soul, had a dashboard. And on your dashboard were all the switches and knobs and dials that make up your person, your emotions, your passions, your affections. Well, prior to the fall, humans were born with a dashboard where every dial, every switch, everything was perfectly set to factory settings, just as it was supposed to be. But after that Genesis 3 event, everything's ruined. And it's as if a toddler, we've had four toddlers in our family, so I use the toddler illustration. It's as if the toddler came into the room and just slapped the dashboard and threw off all the switches, all the knobs, all the everything off of their factory settings. And everything is off from what it's supposed to be. And so for one person, maybe their anger knob is turned way up. They can get hot quickly. But for somebody else, it's turned way down. And they're just apathetic. They don't get worked up about much of anything. And so for some of you, that anxious knob, that worry knob, it's turned up. And you can be anxious and you can worry very quickly. And for others of you, it's just turned down. It's just dishes. What's the big deal? And if we understand that, and the principle would be the fall has ruined us all, but not equally, not the same way. My switches and knobs, they're all off their factory settings. Yours are too, but yours are twisted in different ways than mine. We're all a ruined mess. But we now can show some grace and some forbearance with one another when we realize, okay, her, her knobs, his knobs, they're turned differently than mine. Mine are turned and I have my issues and they have theirs. So it's not right to cross your arms and just to tell people to get over it. They're struggling with how the fall has affected their emotions. Secondly, 
You know, the gospel is true. The gospel is true. But it is not an instant cure-all for your every need. It does not instantly fix you. It does not instantly fix your sickness, your financial problems, your emotional problems, your family problems. We believe that salvation is real. The gospel is true. Justification and the forgiveness of sin is a one-time and permanent event. And then sanctification, that lifelong process of our being conformed more and more into the image of God, that will be with us and be a process in us until the grave. But that day where all the switches and knobs are put back to their factory settings, that's not in this life. That's in the next life. That's in glory when it comes and when we're with Jesus forever. And so we have a long future ahead of us, most likely, of living with our knobs, switches, and dials, slowly, by God's grace, conforming more and more back to where they should be, so that we don't get so angry so quickly, or that we don't get so anxious so quickly. So we need to show grace and mercy to each other as we grow in our faith and see ourselves conformed more and more to believing the truth of the gospel and to holding to that truth in hard times. The truth is, in about the last eight years, I have seen more students with anxiety and depression than I have seen in all, all the years, other years combined. It is remarkable the upswing of students who are struggling with anxiety and depression. And we all understand, understand anxiety as students. Strangely, this week, I, I turn 49 next month. This week, I had a dream that I was in college, and it was finals week, and I had two papers I had to write, and a deadline, and suddenly, the deadline was upon me, and I had written nothing. And the teacher came to me in my dream and said, you've got one hour, I'm going to give you one hour to write both papers. And so in my dream, I'm outlining a paper. And I have two points, and I remember what they were. They were absurd. It was that the dog is good and the dog is blue. Those were, <laughs> those were my two points to my paper. And that's when I woke up. And I woke up with a sense of, I got I to fall back asleep and write that paper. I've only got an hour. And I, I, I really, I wanted to go back to sleep to go to work. 40, almost 49 years old still feel the pressure and the stress of anxiety. And you do that. Some of you have sports dreams. I'll still dream about old sports days. We're an anxious mess. We're worked up about small things. About two years ago, I had a student come to me. About three years ago, the student came to me. Fine young man. Smart young man. Baseball player. A product of the Presbyterian Church in America. And he came to me and told me something I had no clue that was going on. He said, Paul, I'm struggling with anxiety and depression in a way that I'm paralyzed. I can't perform. I can't function. And at that point in my life, I did not have a category personally for what he was talking about. So I said, explain to me. Help me understand how you feel. And he said, I can't walk into a room without, before I enter the doors rehearsing in my mind, almost panicking, who is going to be in there? Are they going to like me? Am I going to measure up? 
I, he said, I can't go to the dining hall. I can't go to the gym. I can't go to class. I can't go to the library without these thoughts racing through my mind and this anxiety that begins to work up in me. And I thought, you know, there's a part of me, I didn't say it out loud, but that Paul Patrick at that time would have said, just quit thinking that way. Just stop. So we continued to meet. Um, About a year ago, I had the privilege of marrying him to his wife. And about six months into his marriage, I followed up with him. And I said, how are things going? He said, it's still there. He said, I've got a wife. She loves me. Our relationship is great. But he said, he said, one of the things you told us in premarital counseling is true, which was you take yourself into your marriage and all your baggage with you. He said, yeah, we found that to be true. I, I, I still, I'm struggling with it. But he said, I found some help. And this is the point in my telling you this story. He said, I have a professor who's a counselor in seminary. He's now a seminary student. And he said, that counselor has the exact same issue that I do. And he shared with me what has worked for him to battle anxiety. And so I said, what is it? And he said, it's simple. He says, you have to push back on those lies when they're racing through your mind with gospel truth. You've got to push back on it. And you've got to say, this is what I believe. Before I walk into a room and feel judged and belittled and condemned, I've got to remind myself that I'm a child of the Most High God who smiles with affection over my forgiven sins and my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, that is, that is the most success I've had in rethinking those bad thoughts. Tim Keller says that anxiety is the static of the heart. Who sits around and watches static on a TV? Well, we used to when we were kids for a few minutes. Nobody. The static makes no sense. It's a distraction. There's no clear picture. And that's how anxiety is to our thinking and how it is to our hearts. But what my student taught me and reminded me is this. You've got to be able to push back on unbelief with truth. And you can only do that if you know truth. So how much more important is it that you saturate yourself with truth? That you are equipped and armed with how to push back on unbelief, with fear, with doubt, and with anxiety? How can you push back on those with truth? And can we pause and think about that for a moment? How much more important then is... Archie's preaching to us weekly as we gather here. That's when we get exposed to truth that we can then apply to our sinful hearts throughout the week to chase away the unbelief. I tell my students, how much more important is it as a student to get connected to a church, to take up and read the Scriptures on your own, Because you need to be armed and equipped. You need to take hold of the truth so that you can use it in your life against your worry, your fear, and your anxiety. Thirdly, and lastly, I'll say this. This morning, Jesus is inviting all of us, in those words of Matthew 6, to take heart and to take hold. 
John chapter 16, verse 33, what I read that you didn't get to see. Hear it again. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. What does it mean to take heart? To take heart is an idiom that means find your courage in this. Find your courage in this. Jesus said, look, in this world you're going to have trouble. This is a broken, sinful, fallen world. You're going to have trouble. But take courage in this. I have overcome the world. Take heart by taking hold of Jesus, His words, and His promises. If you don't have His words, if you don't know His promises, how can you take hold of Him? How can you push back on unbelief? If you're not taking up His word, taking hold of His promises, holding fast to Jesus, you're on your own in your trouble. And there is no worse place to be. But this morning, Jesus is inviting you to take heart. Take heart in Him. Take hold of Him. Hold fast to His Word and to His promises. Because it is a broken and sinful world. It is a hard world in which you live and I live, in which we're rearing our children. Nobody says it better, I think, than this quick summary. See if you can tell what modern day theologian said this. I'll close with this. It's hard to survive and thrive in this world if you don't have a spiritual foundation and something that will give you peace. Because life is hard. And we're all going to experience death, failure, setbacks, disappointment, cancer. It's a really difficult world. For me... My relationship with Christ has given me hope and peace. What modern day theologian would that be? Dabo Sweeney, head coach of the Clemson Tigers, who understands that peace is found outside of yourself. It's found outside of your performance. It's found in the work of another. And this morning, that's the Lord Jesus who laid down His life and made us to be His friends. We believe that, but we need grace to believe it more. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have not left us in our worry and our fear to wallow by ourselves. But Lord, you have entered in to our lowly estate and offered us yourself to be our peace. Lord, would you help us, even if it's for the first time, to by faith take hold of you and your promises? Would you chase away the fears, the worry, the stress, the anxiety that seeks to undo us? And would you give us the peace and calm of the gospel? Lord, we ask this and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.